0: You know, um, I, I think the body of Christ and how God envisioned the church being in operation was one of the most awesome creations that he could have ever thought of. When he said that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and he could see an assembly of people together like we have here today, and encouraging each other, praying for one another, being involved in one another's lives, um, Helping one another out when we're, we're in need—I mean, those are awesome attributes of the body of Christ, right? And it's—it's uh, it's a shame when people recognize or think that what he had in mind was just a church service. This is awesome. We come together for here, but we could pack this room out. And if we don't have any more connection and contact with each other beyond that, we'd be greatly missing it. We—we we need the phone calls. We need the emails. We need the the texts. We need you know, the, 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 the dinners, the lunches. We, we need to go over to each other's homes. You ever notice how that's not happening very much anymore today? How is it that we've got more and more conveniences? We've got better and better technology. Uh, cars can get you to places. We're a much more mobile community, but we assemble a whole lot less together in those settings than what we once did when people were having to walk or take carriages or horses to places. We've, we've missed out on some moments. And I really have a vision that we would grab those moments back. I think that one of the things that's missing for us is that we have missed out on what it was that God had in mind when he talked about the church in the beginning. Now, how many of you ever played that silly um, telephone game to where someone starts and they whisper something into someone's ear? And then it goes around the circle and you see what it is actually like in the end. Yeah, yeah. And how many of you are just like, just like you're amazed at that every single time, right? Maybe you're not. You're just like, oh, yeah. I just went. And there's some people. I heard this. Pastor Jim told me something. Now, we can pick on him, all right? You guys can all shake your finger at him later on. He said he was a bad boy growing up because whenever he played telephone, he purposely was the one that would shift that whole message and do that now. Now, everyone looked at sweet Jim, and you just never thought that he would do that, right? But you look at him and say, I know the dirty on you, the dirt on you right now, okay? So, yeah. <laughs> but there was a video I seen, and it was a video uh, actually in, in another foreign language, and the video quality is not very good. But when I seen it, it was just so hilarious. And it was actually, it caught my attention. And it was seven minutes long. I'm not going to have us watch all seven minutes of it, but I I spliced together some parts of this, and I want you to watch this uh, with me, this video, and see how far off and how quickly you can get far off when a message, when you think that it's clearly communicated. Go ahead, if you would, please. It's a short people one right there. You notice they're not talking. All they're doing is reenacting motion. Oh, am I supposed to turn around and watch you? Okay. Tap your shoulder. Just a few more here. Oops, all right, stop that one. Okay, stop, just pause there for a minute. I think he was riding a motorcycle, right? <laughs> Kicked it, and we're already at the Okay, let's see where we end up, okay? Fast track all the way to the end. Go to that next video, if you will, please. All right, all right. Go back to the very first slide, if you would, please. So you just rest there for a moment. Is it still not amazing to you how quickly the things can get distorted? Now we're talking about that was less than three minutes that you've seen, or is about two minutes and thirty seconds that you've seen, and someone seeing something with their own eyes could not re-imitate, could not do that over again what they seem. Each of them brought with it a little bit of variation, maybe even based upon their personality. If you would have watched a little bit further, you would have seen some of them who were a little bit more reserved, and so they're just like, they're not, there's no way they're going to be going, you know, like that type of thing. They're like, I see that, but I can't do that. And so the personal preference or the actions or the characteristics and personality of that person somehow began to shift the message. And it is my concern and I think verified concern that some of that I think has happened in the proclamation of the gospel and how we have done church throughout the years and how we have all of these particular differences. And some have gathered together and said, yeah, I've I seen what they've done there. And I don't think that that's the same message that was broadcast at the beginning. And therefore, I'm going to go ahead and do this a different way. And, and we have our own little camps and the things that we like and the things that we don't like. And, and we try to come together. You know what I'm saying? And it's important that we have unity. It's important that we be together. Because in today's society, there's a war that's going on. It's a cultural war, all right? It's the enemy, it's the kingdom of darkness who is very seriously and very intentionally trying to corrupt this message of the gospel. He's he's did different things all throughout the years. He's he's tried to take this gospel message that was grace-oriented and tries to make it works-oriented. How many of you know what I'm talking about? See, when I would go and do Evangelism Explosion, and how many of you ever heard of that before, Evangelism Explosion? A few of you. We used to go to... Um, guest homes who would come and visit us at, at church uh, and we would show up and and the plan that we would have is that before we as we would meet them and welcome them and say hey it was great having you with us we would also take that moment and find out where they're at with their relationship with the Lord and there'd be two questions we would ask and the first question would be this have you come to that place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die tonight you would go to heaven Wow, that's pretty heavy, huh? You just met these people and you're asking them that? Well, sometimes we just figure you wouldn't get another opportunity, all right? And, and so you would hear various responses to that. But sometimes people would say, yeah, or I hope so, or I think so, all right? And, and they were wondering uh, about that, but they weren't really real certain. And then you would ask another question. And, of course, you ask permission before you ask these kinds of personal questions, all right? And the second question was this. Well, if, so if you were standing before the Lord and he was asking, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say, those are the two E-E questions, all right? And what do you think was the most, many of the common responses that would take place? Because I was good, I go to church, I treat people nice. Over, what's that? I'm helpful, yeah. Well, God don't want to send anyone to hell, does he? <laughs> no, that's, that was a response, you know, some people would have. And it is always amazing to me, the people who would, many of them, be in church for years. And their go-to response was based upon their activities, their actions, but said nothing about what we know is the true message of the gospel, which is, why would Jesus, why would I be able to get into heaven? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and paid the price for my sins I was destined for hell, I was destined for eternal death, but he has made a way by which I can have eternal life, and there's no other reason at all except by the mercy of God. That is the unadulterated, plain truth of the gospel. Now, some might say, well, it's kind of a trick question because, you know, faith without works is dead, and so I was giving you evidence of my faith by stating those, those things. And maybe in a few cases it was. But my proposal to you today, and the reason we're going to deal with the subject matter of DNA and values matter, is because I believe that we would have a whole lot less deviation from the reality of the truth if the deposit within us was coming from the right source, and that we united and gathered around the right causes, around the right character traits, around the right personality things. See, we're all going to have our own personality, but there's some common things within us that ought to be the same no matter where we go to church or where we grew up and all those other types of things. And in DNA, I want to get a little science-y with you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've got a lot of information that I want to share that's going to leave you hopefully with questions as we move through this over the course of the next number of weeks. We're going to identify the values that I believe God has put in his word to help us to become what he wanted us to be when he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. Done something similar with this a couple years ago, but I really feel it's important for us to to restate and we redefine even some of those things. And it will help us as a church to be on the same page, biblically based, finding out that values really do matter because it's part of our DNA. (laughs) Our DNA. Dini, what is DNA? Why do you want to go all science-y on this, Pastor? Um, Let me get this open here for a minute. You know, there are definitely things in this world in which we don't agree on when it comes from, like, different perspectives. There are are two people who can sit on a corner and they can watch an accident happen and they can be standing... side by side but somehow they will have a different account or recalling of the events as they took place it's got to be frustrating for an investigator to, to try to listen to all these types of things you've seen the same thing how come you don't have the same account we have to acknowledge that sometimes it's because there's some preconceived ideas that we have about some things and it and it changes our perspective a lot of people won't like maybe some of the things that I'm going to share with you with regards to, no, that can't be true. But these are some statistics I'm going to give you or some thoughts I'm going to give you are going to be based upon real life events and some things that have taken place that are going to show you and help verify for you some of the moral collapse that we have in America today that is infiltrating its way into the church. You do know, you do know that, right? That it is a plan of the enemy to try to infiltrate the church and try to dilute and try to change the message. But we've got to stay true to it. And the only way we stay true to him and to the message is if the message gets in us. Then it becomes part of us. So, do we have problems today? Yeah, we have problems. How do I know we have problems today in the world? Because what in the world would cause a high school kid, to take two kitchen knives and go on a stamping rampage in a school? What would cause that? Do you think there's a moral collapse? Do you think when God created all of human, all, all of human humanity that he thought that, hey, I, I, just one day that this is the, what I actually want to have happen? How many of you know and have heard of the, the incident where two 18-year-old boys beat a 30-year-old mentally disabled man to death with a baseball bat? so they could get his xbox there was a new father who put his 6 week old daughter in a freezer to keep her from crying that's deviated how in the world what causes an our man to go into a mosque and kill forty nine people in over New Zealand. Well, it's a mosque, Pastor. Those people they didn't uh, they didn't believe in Christ anyway. They they had it coming to them. God forbid. That's not the gospel. What kind of world is it that we live in, where parents can pay up to six million dollars to ensure, through cheating and lying and misrepresenting the truth, to make sure that their children get into some university? That's never. That's not happening in my world. I don't know anybody like that. That's so far removed. You see, it is happening. It's happening on smaller scales. People doing whatever they can to go ahead and get ahead. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you some some statistics and some things that's happening in America today. And, and this uh, comes from uh, of a list of a hundred facts about the moral collapse of America. And it's really almost too crazy to believe. And I'm not going to give you all a hundred, but I am going to give you a, a, a number of them. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say this is number one, number two, or I'm going to mix some of them together for the sake of time that you can uh, know exactly um, what, what we're talking about here. But the first thing that they dealt with was this. Approximately one-third of the entire population of the United States, at this time 110 million people, this is 2014 is where some of these stats are are from, currently, currently has a sexually transmitted disease, according to the CDC. A third. America has the highest STD infection rate in the entire industrialized world. There's a lot of nations larger than us. I, I'll get off of the, this, this, uh, this sexual stuff here in a minute, but I can't without you understanding here the, 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 the complexity that we have to deal with as far as the church in America today. Americans in the 15 to 24-year-old age group account for about 50% of new STD, years, STD cases every year. It costs our, our nation about $16 billion a year to deal with this epidemic self-inflicted epidemic. The United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the entire industrialized world. There are 747,408 registered sex offenders in the United States, according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 18%, almost one in five of all women in the United States say they have been raped at some point in their life. This is, the, this, is the, this is the culture, this is the society in which we have been commissioned to go reach with the gospel. Can I tell you something? If we don't have the true gospel, if we don't have the true message, if we either have it watered down or we don't give the full uh, ability that people have to realizing that I've messed up so much, but guess what? There's mercy at the cross. <laughs> Both grace and mercy, they're not opposing. They They work together. It's estimated that one out of every four girls will be sexually abused before they become adults. One in four. America has the highest divorce rate in the world by a good margin. One per, um, America has the highest percentage of one-person households on the entire planet. For women under the age of 30 in the United States, more than half of all babies are born out of wedlock. We find ourselves where we have right now one out of every three children in the United States live in a home without their father. One in three. The challenge is huge for us. Back in this time, and I think it's over 60 million now, but it, there was more than 56 million American babies have been slaughtered since Roe v. Wade. So it, it, It's incredible. And the legislation that's going on today. You think that the task is, is, is challenging for us? It absolutely is. But if our message changes, if it isn't the same from beginning to end, from when he gave it to us 2,000 years ago, it will not have any changing power. And the only way it will have changing power is if it's in us. Amen? What's in us? The DNA of the gospel. Amen? About one-third of all American women will have had an abortion by the age of 45. 3,000 Americans lost their lives as a result result of the destruction at the World Trade Center in um, the 9-11. But every single day, more than 3,000 American babies are killed. It was horrific what took place then. It ripped us to the core. And yet, that's happening every single day. 86% of all abortions are done for the sake of convenience. The Department of Homeland Security, in January 2012, a report that they put out, said that if you are anti-abortion, you are a potential terrorist. That was a report back in 2012 from the Homeland Security. An all-time high of 59% of all Americans believe the traditional definition of marriage needs to be changed. It needs to be changed. More than 85,000 military veterans during 2012 alone were formally treated for sexual abuse that they suffered while serving in the U.S. military. In one year, 85,000. The number of active members of the U.S. military that kill themselves each year now exceeds the number that are dying on the battlefield. America has the highest incarceration rate and the largest total prison population in the entire world. 60 million people today in America abuse alcohol, and there are 22 million people that use illegal drugs. Children in the United States are three times more likely to be prescribed antidepressants than children in in Europe are. cocaine and heroin's at all-time high as far as in use. The number of heroin addicts has more than doubled since 2002. We can talk about some of the other subject matters that out of all the industrialized nations, America is the most obese. Is that an issue? Mexico's number 2. There are some 1.4 million gang members involved in 33 different active criminal gangs in the United States. I heard one person say this week that, you know what, I just can't don't want to give birth to children because society is so bad. I mean, you know, you, you can kind of identify with that. It's like, what am I leaving to my kids? give you just a couple more then we'll move on at this point 15 years 15 year olders people young kids that attend u.s public schools do not even rank in the top half of all industrialized nations when it comes to math or science literacy is that incredible there are more than three million reports of child abuse in the united states every single year Here's one for us. Nearly one fifth of all U.S. adults have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Back in 72, only 7% of all U.S. adults had no religious affiliation. So, in 30 plus years, it, it, it's an incredible amount. 88% of those that are religiously unaffiliated are not even looking for religion. They have no interest in what we have to offer them. Do you think that it's going to be a little bit difficult if we do not have the genuine gospel to convey to them a difference? You can go on and on about the amount of people who have lost interest in the church and the things that it has to offer, but but according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the number of Americans with no religion more than doubled between 1990 and 2008. Here's one. Uh, 76% of all Americans identified themselves as Christian. <laughs> Sounds like conflicting statistics, does it not? So we, we, we absolutely know that, that they might claim themselves to be Christians, but back in 1990, there were 86%. So not only do we really not probably have true practicing Christians because we wouldn't be having some of these other epidemic things that are going on in our, in our nation, but... Even those that claim to be Christian are saying, I don't need it anymore. I don't need the church. I don't need to have that identification. According to LifeWay research, 46% of all Americans never even think about whether or not they will go to heaven. Almost half the people you walk up to, they're not thinking about it at all. And yet we, as a church, We as a people have been called together with a mission to make a difference. And I I think maybe with that next slide, I'm not sure if it is. Next, go ahead, if you would, please. In order to build a culture where real people are serving a real God and making a real difference, we have to unite on what defines central the people. We will not make any dent in these statistical tragedies if we do not unite on what defines us, our DNA. What are the building blocks of who we are? We've got some building blocks over here. It's just something that I want you to see. You know, the, um, the picture there that, that you have, we'll talk about the DNA um, the chromosomes and the molecules and all that kind of stuff here in a moment, but how many of you ever played building blocks before? Isn't it interesting? You can go buy a kid all these fancy toys and all that kind of stuff, but just go ahead and grab a cardboard box or something like that and want to build a Ford or build something out of it, you know. These these blocks are just representative of the vi- most basic form of building material that you can have. This block in and of itself will not give you any shelter. But when you take and place, this block and attach it onto a foundation and you tie it in with other blocks. I don't have room here to get all this, but that's kind of a tie in right there where you just kind of go back and forth. It makes it stronger. And then there's other building types of things that that happen when you're building a wall or you're laying blocks and and there's these these cores that are there and, and they run some rebar down it and they pour some concrete into it and do all kinds of things in order to reinforce it. But this by itself is not changing anything. Only when it's put together with other blocks and has the roof that's put over it and has the plumbing and has the electricity and has everything in it, will it become a place of refuge or a place of shelter for people? We are ch- ourselves, as far as the church, central assembly, as we identify what it is that makes us up, what, what it is that makes us unique, we cannot expect to win this cultural war, to win this in this postmodern Christianity time. Uh, uh, we can't win this war by ourselves. We need other churches that that would would unite with us, and and we would build this massive army, this massive team, and and, and even though we're not gathering and worshiping in the same place, under the same roof, we still have this spiritual wall that is being built up. It's the building blocks. What are we made of? Over the course of the next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about what it is. DNA, now I'm going to try to get this, this word out, Stands for. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Did I say that right? Help me out, medical people. Okay, I couldn't get it all together. I have to read it. I can't. I can't. Say, you, you know it. What is it again? Deoxyribonucleic acid. Deoxy. Okay, I heard it say dioxy too. All right, but or one. Yeah. All right. I like that. Just say that nice and loud here. What was it? Deoxyribonucleic acid. Dioxy, right yeah it's DNA I like it. I like that the DNA you know is is that that part that's got an identifying marker within us right we as human beings or you know as humanity have 26 uh chromosomes like there's there's 46 pairs they all kind of come together and and each of those cells kind of make this part of the the nucleus to build up and then they multiply and i may not be getting it all right but i I think something along the lines of that but there's markers in there there's dna that's in your hair (laughs) little pieces (laughs) in your skin in your saliva there's evidence in your sweats, right? A little bit of those things that I mentioned, they can be able to run that through some processors and find some things out about you. Know where you're at. Know where you've been. Wow. Because of your DNA. Because there's something. Even though I think there's like 98% of, the, of our DNA is the same because of humanity being human, but there's something that's a little bit different in us that makes us us and nobody else will have the same DNA. Is that not amazing? So while we're talking about the subject matter of of us being common, having unity in, in the DNA it doesn't take away the individual personality that God has given to you and your contribution that you're going to make to making sure that this gospel gets to the nations. You see, in order to build a culture, read it with me, where real people are serving a real God and making a real difference, we have to unite on what defines central, the people. What defines us? What What, what, is, the, what is the building blocks? What is it that we're made of? There's an important property of DNA, and it's this, that it can replicate and make copies of itself. Each strand of DNA in this double helix, which is this little twisty thing right there, that's what that's called, the double helix, all right, is, um, lost my place, can serve as a pattern for duplicating the sequence of bases. Now, this is just how amazing that God is, because the DNA, you know, cells that come from my liver aren't just multiplied randomly and without control. Once I have enough of them, guess what? The multiplying stops. Or you'd be one big liver. I mean, think about that. that that's and God says, okay, there's enough there. He formulated these bodies. He he recognized exactly what we had need of in order to function. And he said, okay, that's enough multiplying here. I want this to multiply over here and we need some heart muscle and we need some kidney muscle and we need some muscle muscle. You know what I'm saying? We need this and that. And he put it all together to make you what you are today. But he's done the same thing with regards to the body of Christ. But there's that common thread that common thread of the DNA that says, and you are not just humanity, you are the body of Christ. You are central. What does that mean? What does that mean? That's the question I want you to ponder as you meet in your life groups. I want you to, to ponder, what's your passion in life? What really gets you excited? Because I think it's going to be motivating to someone else. How are you helping this multiplying thing to take place in other people? I have another thought for you here today is this. Go ahead, if you will, please. Our values make us who we are. Our values drive us to what we do. And as a church and as individual Christians, our new DNA in Christ should impact our values. Why is that important? Because the world in which we are living in is falling apart. If you try to find your values, you try to find your identity in the world in which you live, guess what? You're going to look just like everybody else, all chaotic and disorganized and dysfunctional. I mean, we've got enough problems like that right already with, with the things that's going on. We're trying to do the right thing for God. And guess what? My flesh, my mind gets in the way all the time. But our values make us who we are. They drive what we do. Go ahead, if you would, the next slide, please. First John, chapter two, verse three, says this. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now we're talking about the importance of having Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit in us, living in us, changing us and making us into what we need to be. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him. Now, you look at this expectation. Must walk as Jesus did. How <laughs> of I mean, you're hanging your head down right now. Are you serious? I mean, what do we know about Jesus? He was perfect. That's what I go to. And, 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 and there's this expectation, it's in the word, it's in the inspired word of God that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's tough. But it's not impossible. You see, he wouldn't give us something impossible to do. He wouldn't tell us to try to do something without giving us the resources and the ability to be able to become what he wanted us to become. In verse number seven, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. Oh, we're going to go back to the old things. See, we, we like the new stuff. How many of you like the new shiny cars? The new clothes, the new house, all those types things. But there's nothing wrong with the old in the sense it's a, it's its old command. He says, it's going to be reworking a new way in you. I've got a new covenant for you. But guess what? The, the, the basis of it, the DNA of it, the building blocks of it, it's all the same. I'm the same God who was yesterday and will be tomorrow and is the same today. Amen. He is the same. And he has the same passion for us. But you've had it from the beginning, and this old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's really a reinforcement. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Oh, wow. Here's my part. This is my connection part. And he says, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Some of us hear about this darkness that's happening. We see all this wickedness that's going on. And all we want is the exit strategy. We want to punch our ticket, and we want to get out of here. We're holding on. I got that, that calendar picture. That I see that with that little kitty hanging on the fence. How you doing today? I'm just hanging in there. And that's, that's life for some of us. I suggest to you today that you weren't called to just come and barely exists you weren't called to just come and hang in there but you were called to be difference makers you were called to be people who would be game changers amen you were called to be people who would have him in you and it is the same command as what the old one was all right he is the same god his same personality his same dna is something that he wants to pour into you and change you into this powerhouse for him here's the deal this DNA that we're talking about determines a lot concerning our life. This, this DNA, this code of life. I mean, when we talk about it, there's, there's special parts about the DNA that determine such things like your, your eye color, your hair color, your, your skin color, and, and lots of other things. But, but, but that's okay. In the spiritual sense, as we think about our DNA, there are certain personality traits that you have and gifts that you have that other people don't. And we're depending upon you to bring that spice that flavor, that color, to what God's called us to do without changing the message. Now, here's, here's what we've got to come to understand. The next slide, please. It says this, values represent convictions and show the core of not just what a person believes, but also how they live. I'm talking about why values are important. Before I get in and I talk about what the values are and you and your life group start to talk about how um, these values start to affect you and change us, I want you to understand these values represent convictions. What is it that we're convicted of? What is it that we're convinced of? You see, I think it will be the same. It should be the same for us as a church. I want to be careful because I'm not talking about clothesline preaching. <laughs> I mean, the Bible does talk about that there's some things that uh, the, the weaker brother uh, cannot do and the stronger brother can. And, and I'm not saying it's even going to be easy. It's going to be a little bit messy. But the core of what we're talking about as far as the DNA of the gospel, it is the same. And it has the power to change lives. And as, as long as we keep on going through the same motions, all right, and not just dis- diluting it or, or, or trying to get it all not, not paying attention, you know what I'm saying? The values. Values matter because they represent convictions and show us the core of not just what a person believes, but also how they live. There ought to be a common denominator of what's happening and how we live. It ought to stand out. It ought to be different than the world in which we live. There's a the need that we have today. The need that we have in order to feel fulfilled as far as the body of Christ is that we can leave a lasting legacy. That we can, that we can live in such a manner and way that we don't corrupt the message of the gospel. That, that, that the people, our, our kids, our grandchildren, and the, our grandchildren's grandchildren, that they would absolutely know what it takes in order to be saved, that they wouldn't be swayed because someone says, well, you know what, it's common theory today that it's okay for different people to choose their own gender. That's the world we live in, right? But listen to me. Do we have the sensitivity and the love and the care, that part of the DNA of Jesus in us that says someone who's mixed up and thinks about those things, that there's still a creation created by God and love, and he loves them and he'll do whatever he can to lay down his life for them. Because we can be all right and convinced about our convictions and our values. But if we throw out how we treat people who think differently than us, if we treat them with in a condescending way, and if we look down our noses at them, then that's not Jesus. That's not the DNA of Jesus. We are called upon to imitate Christ. He is a measure of what humanity should be. He is what we have to become like. That's what the Word of God says, that we would become like Him. That's how we become like Him. You won't be successful in all of your activities. You'll mess up in the thoughts that come across your mind. But I'm telling you, if you say, Holy Spirit, come in. Holy Spirit, saturate. Holy Spirit, change me. If you present yourself before Him, then the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon your heart and you will treat people differently than what you Ever thought that you could there is a way in which those that you one day hated that you can sincerely be able to look in the eye and say I love you it's called forgiveness and he says unless you learn how to forgive others you can't be forgiven it's it's not a punishment He's saying you don't understand the whole idea of what forgiveness is. He's saying, I'm afraid that you can't receive the forgiveness that I have for you if you can't offer it to other people. For how can you forgive and not forgive someone else if you don't understand how I've forgiven you from everything? Does that make sense to you? That's the DNA of Jesus Christ. That's the DNA of him. That's the building blocks that we got to gather around. That's the, that's the trumpet sound that we need to get out there in and make over and over again. You see, this next slide says that his DNA, or I mean, let me just go to the scripture first, first. Did you go backwards or forward? I'm sorry. Okay. I want the, uh, his DNA is what changes us. Just move to there, please. His DNA is what changes us. And I want to just get to this. Pray team, come up here if you would please. We've got to figure out what his DNA is. You might say, well that should be easy. I'm telling you, it's not easy. I've dedicated my whole life to this. And there's not an occasion or a season in my life where I don't identify some deviation that's trying to be coming into my life and into my thinking and into my values as a result of outside pressure. There is, there's, there's pressure that's coming from people who, who are supposed to be smarter than me. They can talk better. They can make better arguments. They're can have better, better analytical with stuff or whatever like that, but they try to sway me away from the, the core of the gospel and the simplicity of the message of Jesus Christ and who he is. And I got to go back to the beginning of it all. I got to go back and 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 remember what I seen in the word. He says he is a saint. He is a saint. He wasn't a, a, a bad, unloving God in the Old Testament. He was always loving. He was always trying to make a way by which... His creation could come back into relationship with him, back into communion with him. But in order to identify what the barriers were, he had to identify the sin that was there. And that's why through the animal sacrifices, it didn't get it done. He needed one pure sacrifice of someone who has never sinned before. But someone who died, and was raised from the dead, said, I'm going to send my spirit to you and I am going to deposit him within you. And he's going to take this plain old earthen vessel, this dirt, and he's going to put something special in you. And he's going to make you just like just like him. (laughs) Get a picture of that. Get a picture of being just like him. See, This last slide says it this way. No Christ, no character, no character, no value. Add Christ, add character, and add character, and you're going to get value. I'm telling you something today. Values matter. They matter. They matter because they are the identifying marker of us. And with all of the other hoopla and all the things that's going on out there, and the, craziness, the craziness that's happening in some churches out there, the things that they're accepting, the deviations from the true gospel, guess what? There needs to be a church that is walking in step with the Holy Spirit, that's walking in step with the, the character of Christ, that is able to look to someone who is doing things differently and in error and wrong and say, you know what? I'm telling you, the only reason I'm disagreeing with you and the the reason I would make contention with this right now is because I love you and I care about you. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm not going to fight with you about it. I'm not going to become an enemy with you because you don't believe the same way in which I believe. But it still is the truth. But to prove it to you, I am going to continue to be your friend. I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to continue to treat you with decency. I'm going to continue to, to walk the extra mile with you. I'm going to continue to turn my cheek, even if you, if you slap me. Wouldn't that be a game changer? Wouldn't that be a game changer in the society in which we live? I really believe it would. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we come here today. We're thankful that you have added to us these values. We thank you, Lord, that your ultimate goal for my life is not my comfort, but God, my character development. I recognize, Lord, that you want me to grow up spiritually and to become like you. And, and it doesn't mean that I will lose my own personality. It doesn't mean that I will become a mindless clone. But Lord, instead, I, who was created in your u- uniqueness, will take the gifts and will take the deposits you put in my life and I will spread and share that with other people. When I am weak, that's when you make me strong. When I stumble, that's when you pick me up. God, my weakness is what demonstrates my dependency upon you. And it ought to encourage everybody else who stumbles right along with me. When I don't give up. Thank you, Lord. God, for building in us. building in us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here today and you say, Pastor, I, I, I was one of those who wasn't sure if there was still hope for me. I deviated from the past so far that I, 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 I'm I, here today, so I must have thought some kind of hope, but I'm still like just not sure. And, I, and I'm asking God to come in today, today afresh and anew, and I want to live for him. I want to live for him. A fresh and anew. I want my life to mean something. I want to leave a legacy. You feel like you're on a path that's heading in the wrong direction, but you're saying, I want, to, I want that to be straightened out today. I want, I want him to start to lead me and guide me. That's, uh, it, it's general, but it's specific for some of you here today. Maybe I don't got the right words, but you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now to put your hand up in the air and say, Pastor, pray for me. Where are you at today? Where are you at today? You say, come on, that's me. That's me. I want to change. I want to change. Go all across this, this sanctuary right now. I see that to my left. Yes. Two, three, four, five, six. Come on, where are you at? Seven. Good. Eight. Good, good, good. You put your hands down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Jesus. Can we all stand to our feet in this place? Here's what we're going to do. I want to open up this altar, and some of you are not maybe familiar with this, or or you haven't done it in a long time. But I envisioned, I believe the Holy Spirit just put up on my heart that we'd have a corporate gathering at this altar. It doesn't matter to me the length of time. It could be two minutes or it could be five. But symbolically, we the DNA of Central. The inner workings, the central, going to come and gather together in a close proximity. Go ahead and make your way out of those uh, seats right now, if you would, please. Those of you that can. I'm not going to ask. I'm going to make you do anything silly. Come right up here as close to this altar as you can. We're going to sing this song in closing. It says, build my life. We're going to make it a prayer song. Get right on up here as close as you can so everybody else that can get in around you. If you're a guest here today and you say, I don't do that stuff, don't worry about it. If you're not a guest and you can't come because of physical limitation, don't worry about it. But, but just symbolically, I believe so we take a step and we say we're going to intercede. We're going to be declare and believe that God is going to build something in us with these building blocks. The things that are the same are going to be accented. It's going to be made, made better. And those of you who raise your hand and you said, you know what? I need a change. I need a redirect direction. You ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. He's going to do that. But he's put us here to be able to help you as well. So I invite you to come. Talk to me. Talk to one of the leaders, the board members, or, or put it on that connection card that's on your bulletin. We'll make some contact with you and help you out. We want, to, we want you to grow. Amen? Can you make this closing song just a prayer song and say, Lord, build, build, Lord, your life in us. In us. In us because of your personality, your DNA in us. Thank you.